You're listening to Voices of Value, a selection of valuable insights designed to help you get more out of your professional and personal life through simple and easy-to-adopt life lessons. If you're keen to enjoy a better quality of life at work and at home, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton. Voices of Value, episode 24, with my good friend Peter Kakos and a very special guest. Pete, welcome. Thanks, Rick. Great to be here and uh, great to have this special guest today. Absolute illustrious company. Uh, Sammy Harper, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Rick. Good to be here. And, mate, just so we know, I mean, I know that summer's meant to have finished, but it feels like summer's still. March has just uh, got really, really hot. And you've just come off an absolute high, your first BBL victory with the Mm. Melbourne Renegades. Not only did you win, not only were you an integral part of that particular victory and the season to date, but you also were named the BBL Young Gun of the uh, BBL 8. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, Rick. Yeah. Does it come with any coin? Does it? Do we get any money for that? No like, coin. I actually had to put in a bit of coins for the person to give me that award. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was yeah, it was a great season, and yeah, obviously capped off with the win, which made it even better. Well, it was great to see you on the field. I, I love the fact that you got the trophy and you had a photo with mum and dad, and uh, obviously your brother. And you know, so yeah. like all elite sports people, I'm sure when we get through this interview, you'll talk about the absolute support you've had all the way through. But let's just give the listeners a bit of context around you and your sort of cricketing journey you're a young man still at 22 and it looks like it's all come at a great rate of knots but uh, people forget how young you were when you first started as a representative player yeah that's right it's been a long journey rick since i remember seeing you in the junior nets um at johnson park and then yeah was he taller then or no No. i had him covered i had him covered (laughs) uh he's got me covered probably potentially now but very few people know this pete i was his first representative coach he sort wow. of ducked on the shirts, represented the Furniture Gallery right. and District Cricket Association down at Deep Fine Leg. Some guy tried to take him on, thinking he won't be able to throw it back. He looked like a little kid who was just sort of on the boundary, and uh, Sammy ripped it in to a bale high, and um, yeah, it was great. But no, you've had an interesting journey from representative cricket all the way through the grades, represented state school boys, and then yep. um, obviously went through the Victorian Pathway Program all the way through to representing your state under-19s, under-20... Yeah, the 19 is going to the Futures League. Futures, Futures League, yeah. And then, yeah, into Victorian cricket. And also, let's not also gloss over the fact that you would have been the uh, Australian captain of your age group had the uh, tournament gone ahead and not been cut off because of um, fears and concern of safety and terrorism. Yeah, that's right. We were actually the only country not to go to oh, Bangladesh, Rick. Wow. Even the Poms went. But um, Really? Yeah, better be safe than sorry, they say. So talk me through that. What was that like for you? You'd set your mind to it. You were going to represent your country and then uh, it was gone. Yep. So we'd had four tours. We'd had a tour to Sri Lanka, um, England and two home series. And then we were over in Dubai playing four practice games against Pakistan and New Zealand. And we were literally a week away from playing our first World Cup game. So it'd been about a two-year journey, lots of trips up to Brisbane to train. And um yeah, as you said, it was. I was fortunate enough to be captain of the side, and I was looking forward to going to Bangladesh and trying to lead as, as an eighteen-year-old. It was pretty exciting to be playing for your country in the Junior World Cup, and then, yeah, I think it was Greg Chappell pulled us all in together as manager of the tour and said, "Yeah, boys, our next flight won't be to Bangladesh; it'll be back home to Melbourne." So, mm. so the moment that happened, what was your thought process? Yeah, it was obviously all. Everyone was really disappointed. Yeah. Um, it had been a journey, and we trained hard to get there, and we we're looking forward to the end prize of having a crack at winning the thing. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, we were, we were young kids and um, our parents were wanting us home safe and the career show board made the decision, so we just had to back them in. Yeah, 
Okay, and so your cricket journey started off, you played sub-district cricket at Caulfield, which yep. was a, a great sort of club for you to go to because you had family connections there. I, I better get this in in case your dad listens to this, but of course, <laughs> your dad, who's the most humblest guy I've ever met in my life, would uh, be embarrassed if I say this, but he is the record holder for runs scoring at the Caulfield Cricket Club, is that right? That is right, Rick. I would say the slogging record, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that apple didn't fall too far from the tree, <laughs> Brian, just quietly watching you sort of tee off in the finals of the BBL, but keep going. <laughs> So he was a record holder there. Your uncle Tim was also uh, Tim a played there. there. Yeah, they had a successful 10-year period um, together there. Um, young Will Pekowski was going well. Now his dad, Jan Pekowski, was a tearaway quick bowler, as he tells me, yes. um, playing with Brian. And, um, yeah, they had, a, they had a good group together. I think they won a few premierships at Caulfield. And, yeah, luckily enough for me, me and my brother went and played there with Chris, and yep. um, yeah, we had some good times there. So Chris is my son, just so that people can join the dots there as to how yeah. that sort of all happened. And the more I speak to Jan and, and Brian, the older they're getting, the better they were. But uh, none of them <laughs> thought they were as good as uh, their three progenies, i.e. you and Jack with uh, with Brian. And it should be noted that your brother and my son got to play state schoolboys a couple of years ahead of you because of the age uh, gap. So um, I've watched your development from that sort of early junior development right through to you know your, your first sort of 50 in the, in the seconds, you thought you should have been playing ones and at, at Caulfield, I'll never forget that. And I always remember the coach at the time, Sean Richardson, sort of and uh, putting you in the nets against a very fast tearaway import from the West Indies, who That's I think right. was related to Dwayne Bravo, wasn't Crookshank. he? Yes. Crookshank. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you sort of said you should be in the ones. I think Sean said, well, if you can face him, you, you know, you can. I remember saying to, to Cookie at the time, can you rev it up? And he goes, I am, man. <laughs> he, was, he was trying to – but all you'd see was this – Pete, you'd see these hel- the helmet, gloves, bat, all in a line. He was getting in behind him and I think everyone knew then that he was going to be sort of extra special and so that uh, seconds grand final win that you did against Brighton, mm-hmm. that was sort of when you were all, te- all together, that uh, that uh, foursome, wasn't it, I think, effectively. And, um, and then from there you went to Melbourne. Talk us through that sort of connection. Yeah, so I was playing at – I actually got stress fractures in my foot um, trying to prepare for a 400 meter Yarra Valley Grammar AGS event, which yeah, it was questionable at the time. But I trained <laughs> nice and hard for that and got yeah, got um, five stress fractures through my metal tarsals and did my navicular. So then I had the first half of the season off. So then yeah, probably five or six, well, five or six years ago now, I went and played from December onwards with Melbourne um, in the third eleven and batted number ten in my first game actually wow. at Melbourne. Um, yeah, short little wicket keeper I was playing at Central Reserve, and then yeah, things went on from there. Perfect. And then you were progressed through the grades, so yep. through third seconds, and then debut. When did when did you debut first eleven Premier cricket? Um, I debuted when I was seventeen. Brad Hodge presented my cap at Geelong Cricket Ground, wow. and um, yeah, he was actually batting six. He was happy to let the young kids have a go. I was seven, um, so <laughs> it, I was nervous sitting there. And he went out and hit. His, I think he hit his third or fourth ball for six, and then I went out and probably nicked my first ball down to third man and got off the mark. Uh, <laughs> all counts on the scoreboard, but right. it doesn't matter how they come. Yep. Okay. So that was a memorable day, and the family yeah. was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dad. Dad's been a very good supporter, as his mum yeah. um, of all our cricket, but. Um, and yeah, obviously Jack as a brother has been a great support as well and someone to have some good backyard battles against, which yeah. has no doubt helped. I think he saved your father's shoulder reconstruction. I think, I think so. Yeah, uh, Brian must have thrown down that, uh, tens of thousands of throwdowns to you, which is kind of amazing. Um, are you sensing the competitiveness amongst the? Yeah, uh, little, uh, just just gets me wondering what uh, what the backyard cricket was like at Christmas time. <laughs> when it's like, okay, you finish your meals, right? Let's get out. Let's <laughs> grab the bat, grab the ball. Let's How play. did that go? Um, like most, we actually had a cricket pitch in our backyard. In no- we grew up in Knoxfield. Um, 
started off as a half one and then I think I can start to get a full one. Um, so funnily enough, Andrew McDonald, my now Victorian Renegades coach, helped put the cement in for that when I was about six. Um, so that, a funny little um, story there. And then, yeah, Jack and I would – I had the SS Jumbo, about which I've still got at home, and I had a cut-down bat that my, my pot was a builder. So I had two cut-down bats, one from Andrew McDonald, one from Brad Hodge, That's which Jack and I used to play in the backyard and we just we had made all these – little rules and stuff just the normal stuff which every kid goes through we would wouldn't start for 45 minutes before we worked out who was batting first that was a, always a big one and then i'd start bowling from 10 meters end up bowling from one meter it's like a bowling out so i could have a bat <laughs> i love most people would just go out and head on the road yep. and have a hit but no you actually had the actual the pitch, the synthetic pitch, the, pitch the, the netting pitch. to make sure it didn't when the, when you're lobbing them they weren't going into the next door neighbors yeah we put footy posts up in the net and the Far footy post was third slip, so anything in between that was out. <laughs> Automatic wiki, and gee, the wiki was good. He could, he, he could catch anything. Never dropped anything. <laughs> Is that where you got your inspiration from? <laughs> yeah, I think I got my inspiration from my height, Pete, to be fair. <laughs> More so. So, for those of you who are just listening to this, it's not a video, obviously, but uh, you know, Sam's a little bit like me. Um, we're not really overly blessed with height. I think 168, no. tip of the scales. Is that right? Is Both that got big hearts. I'll be happy with 168, Rick. Actually. You reckon? Oh, okay, maybe, not, maybe I got that stat sort of wrong. But the good news there is, Brian Lara was 165. I mean, if you think of Bradman, he was 170-something. Ponting and, and Border 175. You don't have to be big to be to be good. And what I see with you, from a very young age, you were always playing against men. I think How did yep. that help? Did that help you? Because you didn't really play against your own age group until you got more into the sort of the Victoria Pathway program where you had to play against your own age group, right? You were normally yep. playing against men from a very young age. Yeah, that's right. I always sort of wanted the next – best challenge as you would say like whether that was sub district or then moving on to melbourne um, and uh, even at the i've found even in the nets at melbourne i always wanted to even when i was a young kid i wanted to just try and face the best bowler that was available and that sort of translated into games and nets and that's sort of where i got my competitiveness from just wanting to there was a lot of times in those net sessions where i'd get out four or five times but i'd rather have had that experience than gone and battled against not, no disrespect to the other bowlers but yeah. and just had an easier net so yeah, I was always sort of thrived off those challenges and I've actually really enjoyed playing against them and I think that's helped me now as a young sort of kid coming through. So we know we don't get better in the comfort zone, we get better being challenged yeah. and so if we go up against our own age group, you're going to bang them out of the ballpark but you were deciding that you're going to test yourself against the upper echelon. I love the fact that you say that's where you created your uh, competitive – I reckon that's part of your DNA. Your yeah. uncle Laurie Harper was a first-class cricketer, played nearly 40-odd games, I think, for Victoria. Did, yeah. A couple of – I know he had one double century. He was in an era where there was an amazing talent in Australian cricket bats. You know, the ranks there, people were really hard. But a lot of people thought that he probably deserved to go at the Baggy Green. He didn't quite get there. So has he been a, a source of a mentor? Or have you bounced stuff off him or is he sort of more – I have actually, yeah, Rick, yep. I think Laurie's been a good – like non-emotional person to chat with obviously dad and i dad's been there since day dot and dad and i have really good chats and dad really helps me my cricket but yeah. the two of us can actually if we're on the same page we can actually get emotional about the thing whereas laurie can be also a good one just to have as a um just to outsource a chat about all things cricket um yeah, i remember speaking to him just on christmas day about facing rashid khan and getting your front pad blown off not knowing where the wrong one's going seeing if he had any ideas about <laughs> how to pick the wrong one or something like that he but was a slow and steady sort of batsman wasn't he he was very mm -hmm. slow and steady he was actually he was he did have the height of the family he's six foot and above and bold he's apparently bold very slow so he had to catch him in the grippers and yeah it was left hand bat and caress them for the covers from what i've heard mm. yeah. yeah no he was uh, very good at that let's can we, let's delve into uh, i want to get straight into this bbl year that just yes. that just was the renegades yeah. congratulations Thanks, what a Pete. what an unbelievable yep. um final that was what an unbelievable season i mean from the start of the season i mean where were people tipping you you would finish 
I think most people have us outside the four. Um, from most of the things that I've read through the papers or read online, most people probably had us from the five to seven range. Um, you probably didn't think we had the all-star list and then with Finch and Harris getting in the test squad, probably thought our batting was vulnerable as well. So, um, yeah, that's a testament to teams and the coaching staff we had about sort of the belief we had in ourselves and we didn't really care about the outside noise. We just sort of wanted to control what we could control in our environment and hopefully that pr- produced some good results. And what, what was it? It was uh, with the Stars, it was they were about 92 for... Two. One or two. Yeah, one well, or two. Well, they were seven for like 19 off about five overs or something, didn't they? Yeah. They were none for 93 and they lost They lost six for 15 and then lost seven for 19 off 28 balls. <laughs> Incredible. What was, what was it? What was the um, the pivotal moment of that? What was the trigger? Um, most was, what people, was, set, was yeah. anything said on the ground? Is most people think the Maxwell wicket down to deep square leg was probably the pivotal moment. That's probably when all of us really thought we could believe. But I think the from the 11 that were out there, when, we, when Ben Dunk hit Cameron Boyce's last ball down to long off, um, that was probably when all, all we all went in there with a sense of, right, we can actually do this now. And then Maxwell getting out next ball from the start of the first over from Tremaine, um, that sort of sent things off. And then obviously yeah. we'd taken four for six and then we took two for nine to make it six for 15 and then we were in the box seat. Momentum. It did all happen momentum. very quickly. Yeah, yeah. so you just got the momentum. Two, the two Melbourne teams in the final for the first time ever. <clears throat> yeah. What is the Stars and Renegades relationship like? Because you play for both. Yeah. You play for both, yeah. Yeah. What's the rivalry like? Is it a real rivalry? Yeah, there's a good. There's definitely a good sense of rivalry. Mm. Um, each franchise wants to be wants to be known as the champions, and n- neither side had actually won the BBL before. So for us to play a derby on a Sunday, and one of the teams was eventually going to be the BBL champions, um, I think the stars can be known as a bit it's more a of the just dream. <laughs> it is. <laughs> stars can be known as sort of the party franchise of the thing, and we're just the renegades that play at Marvel Stadium and sort of go. Just bit more blue quiet, collar. blue collar. Bit more quietly about our work, um, <laughs> but yeah. So for them to sort of collapse at seven nineteen, it was sort of almost was unbelievable. Dream come true. Sammy, I'd love to delve a little bit into in, into you as a player and, and your growth and so forth. So I want to talk about mentors. Yeah. Um, but before that, I want to I want to take you back a couple of years. I think it was the summer of sixteen seventeen. Um, yep. Was it the gen when when you cop that Concussion. absolute horrible injury? Yeah. Um, playing at Adelaide Oval in a Shield game, and I was wicket keeping to John Holland bowling left arm orthodox up to the stumps, which for the listeners is nice and close to the stumps. And yeah, a bat got sort of pulled around by Jake Lehman accidentally into my head, and yeah, that led to a. And you had a helmet on though, as well. Had a helmet on, yeah, and that led to a a good two or three month sort of concussion. I was in hospital for two and a half weeks in Adelaide, then was lucky enough to fl- I really wanted to get home and get just in a home because two and a half weeks in hospital for anyone will sort of mm. almost make them feel sick in itself. Um, and, yeah, came home and then just went to the uh, the Epworth on Hawthorne Road there and we sort of did a two-month concussion rehab um, clinic. Uh, in one way it sort of came – in one way it came at a horrible time because the boys went on to play a Shield final, so that was terrible. But in another way it sort of gave me two months before the pre-season started to – Sort of knock it on its head, and then by June one, I was back in preseason and all fit and healthy again. What yeah. did it do with the confidence? Did did you? How soon was it before you stood up to the stumps again? Um, well, as Rick would attest, in our nature, uh, the first session back, I wanted fast bounces from the bowling machine, wow. and then just get that knocked on the head day one. So I went and had a hit with Greg Shippard, um, who's been a good coach of mine for a fair few years now, and we sort of just had a normal hit and just sort of went okay, everything's functioning, um, and that was that was all part of the. Uh, process and then yeah day one pre- I actually got um, dad and stuff we got some tennis balls and some jokes and just right let's clear that up got keeping up to the stumps and then I'd never really looked back to be fair 
That's brilliant. So no lingering issues with the concussion. Haven't got any sort of side effects nah. to your ability to. to no, nah, nothing, Rick. I got so I got hit in Adelaide in one of the under nineteen carnivals by um, one of my teammates now at the Vic Savior Crane, and that led to a probably a two or three week concussion. And then obviously the Adelaide one was the major one. But I think what, probably the best thing for my confidence was getting hit um, in a net session at the MCG, and then just like it just hit me and it hit me flush, and then I just kept batting and felt completely fine. So that was probably the best moment because it was like, right, I can get hit and doesn't always lead to a concussion because some people were saying to the thing, are you going to be vulnerable now? So I was always worried about what's going to be the next time I get hit and that time I just felt fine and moved on. So mm. Such a big thing there, isn't it? Football world, Absolutely. cricket world. Yeah. And I'm talking about football, male and female. Yeah. AFLW as well. There's a lot of concussions going on there. It's certainly the talk. Of it, isn't oh, it? absolutely! And I was sort of, you know, speaking to your dad, who'd flown over to be with you, and uh, obviously, mum and dad both work, you know, both teachers at the time, and working yeah. pretty hard, and um, you know, uh, just sort of getting the updates from your dad, and he's saying, you know, it's going to be a little bit longer than we thought, and um, you know, two and a half weeks was longer than I think anyone thought at the yeah. time. So uh, we're, we're thrilled, mate. That you, clearly, there's no lingering effects if you watch what you did this season, as Pete mm-hmm. sort of mentioned. I think you uh, had a strike rate of 140. You were averaging, I think, well into the 30s. You got acknowledged as a gun rightly. And, and more importantly, I think the opportunities that seem to be given to you when Pete talks about mentors, I know Andrew McDonald's one of your mentors. He not only was your Bush Rangers coach, but was obviously your, your Renegades coach. And he seemed to free you up to just go up the top of the order and just uh, not overthink it, see ball, hit ball, and uh, yeah. just be natural. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, that's right. So I'd played a T20 for Melbourne against Geelong down at Bo Morris in the Super Slam, which is a new concept in Premier Cricket this year, and he'd been down there. And then I think what's, I, what, what's Super Slam? Uh, it's the Victorian Super Slam. So they've just brought in a new concept. It's to try and obviously T Twenty's been a bit of a hit yep. um, in national in all Australian cricket now. So there's, it's trying to identify a way for Premier cricketers to get sort of into the pathway and noticed um, to be potential sort of replacement players or get on um, BBL lists. Um, so yeah, that was in late November, and then obviously Aaron Finch and Marcus Harris were called into the Test squad, so they were looking at a few replacement batters, and so I think they were, they were probably looking at five or six different players from around Australia. Um, so yeah, Ronnie had a clinic that night, so him being there, and I hit, I hit him okay that night, and then we had a few practice games at the Junction against the uh, against the Stars for the Renegades, which I played in, and then, yeah, I, um, he offered me the replacement player contract and. I wasn't. I didn't know really what to expect. What, I, what my role on the team? It started off being actually a fielder and yeah, batting at three, um, which was an amazing opportunity because as most cricketers would know, batting at the top of the order in the power play with some freedom is probably the best place to bat in T Twenty cricket. So it was very exciting. So what are you thinking about? One hundred and fifty clicks coming out of the hand. Um, you're you know you've gone from playing Eildon Park not that long ago in yep. juniors to you know a few parents cheering. Of yep. course, Fee would have been one of those, yep. but uh, you go from parents cheering to like a full stadium at uh, Marvel Stadium as you're sort of launching off from ball one, just clearing the pickets. What, what, what was that like? Yeah, it's, it's a thrill. Um, obviously, game day, I'm, I was pretty nervous most days. Yep. Um, but then when you walk out to the middle and take take centre, sort of the adrenaline and the heart rate gets going and you, you know, I just back myself to play on my instincts and sort of... Um, from there, yeah, the pace on the – I actually like the pace on the ball. Um, for me, as a short sort of statured player, <laughs> don't really have the brute power to just clear the picket. So the 
the more for the pace and the ball there is, it gives me more options to score. So, yeah, it was, it was Well, cool. you obviously got quick hand speed because you yep. are clearing the pickets and you're doing it more regularly than <laughs> yeah. you probably give yourself credit for. So, you know, is, were, were you a nervous starter or you just thought, it's, this is, I'm born to do this, this is what I'm meant to do? Is it that sort mm. of belief? What is yeah, it? I think everyone, I, I sort of see my nervousness as in, on the game days more than an excitement thing about what's come. Okay. Um, excitement, anticipation. Yeah, anticipation about how we're going to win, how we, how's tonight yeah. going to roll, yeah. what sort of plans are the bowlers going to come at me with. With, um, the, what internationals they've got, how am I going to uh, face Majib and Rashid, all these Afghanistan spinners. So I wouldn't say it's like nerves as in that. It's more an, an excitement thing. And, yeah, then once I'm out there, I've, I'm a big believer in just – and you know, me, you know me well, Rick. I do all my <laughs> preparation, all my fitness, all yep. my training to the T. And yep. then once you walk out of the middle, all you can do is just back that you've done good – you've practised yep. well. And then from there it's just about trying to execute your skill which in T20 cricket isn't going to work every night. So probably the biggest thing for me was not changing how I played throughout the tournament, knowing that I'm tr- I'm striving for consistency, but there's going to be times where the bowls either going to A, beat me or B, my plan due to the high risk um, yeah, of the game nature, is not yeah. going to come off and I'm just going to keep batting the same way and over 16 games, yeah. hopefully that works more, than, more yeah. times than And obviously doesn't. with T20 being so small, you don't have a lot of time to think anyway, really. It's, yeah, it's ball right. one away you go. And yeah. yeah, and I saw that with the 50-odd not out that you made up at uh, the Gabba against the Brisbane Heat when you only needed like three and over, but you are you're, you're batting like we needed 20 and over, really. Yeah. It was pretty full on, wasn't it? So What happens there? I mean, you don't, you don't want to change your style. It's just like, you know what, whatever we need, this is my style and this is what I'm going to do. Um, well, with the increased number of games this year, with the 14 games, we thought and a win is two points. So there was potential that come the back end net okay, run rates and enough. sort of things were going to be important. And sort of, yeah, it's a mix of that and you're sort of, the, I'm thinking of the Brizzy Lions in 2002 running <laughs> havoc over the Gabba and I'm out in the middle there looking around the coloured seats. So <laughs> the adrenaline sort of just keeps you going. <laughs> you can take the such boy a, out of football. I'll tell you what, he's such a positive guy. I was just asking this before we started recording today. Do you think Brizzy are going to make the top eight? I, just, I had to laugh but then I realised you were serious. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. What you'll know about Sam is he's a walking encyclopedia. He's Bruce McAvaney incarnate. He knows all the stats but uh, I think that's important. I just, um, Sammy, just talking about styles of play and so forth and obviously there's considerable difference between test matches one day as and now the the t20 in terms of a cricketer um going from one to the other and obviously the well how many from the australian one day team actually play in the test team i think probably a couple is there yeah i think it's so there's a significant different um lineup isn't it and same with t20 as well how hard is it to sort of play the three forms and what what do they particularly look for and 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 what are the significant differences that you see yeah uh i think i've probably had an not an easier end of that, but as a young player coming through now, we're into BBL nine. I've sort of know I know that to be a cricketer these days, you need to be. Well, I personally want to be an all format cricket. I want to. I'm striving, still striving to play Test cricket, but I'm also striving to be playing the big bash and bat in the top order. So I know as a young kid coming through, righto, I need to create a game that's going to be able to be successful in T20 one day and Shield cricket. Um, yes, I've done a lot of work on just preparing a game that I can play all my shots, and it's more. I think it then more comes back to mentally how. It's well, how you play. So in red yep. ball, you've got more time. You've got more time to construct an innings. You can be patient. And it's just shot selection, really. And then in 220, it's right, right I've got these shots against this bowler. Well, now what, how am I going to play and execute them? But no doubt, um, someone like a Marcus Harris who's playing, he played Big Bash, then went and played India facing Jasper Brimmel with a reverse swing ball, then comes mm. back, back and plays Test Match, then is playing a pink ball at the Gabba <laughs> and playing a red ball at Monica, then comes back and plays the Big Bash final. <laughs> so like... 
it's for that. It's it? easy to say just mentally switch on and off, but in, in theory, for us guys who just played the big bash, we played 16 T20s in a row so mm. that you sort of get in rhythm, but he was chopping and changing. So for someone like him, that is tough. Um, and then, yeah, for me, I actually have a slightly strengthened grip in the red ball just to straighten up my defence. Um, it helps me play straighter for longer. And then in T20, I actually just open up my grip a bit. I like carving through the offside over point, over cover. <laughs> and then when they come straight, I can sort of – It's fascinating that, isn't it? Like that, just, just a subtle grip. Subtle, subtle grip, yeah. Changes, yeah. We'd never have heard of that, I don't think. Yeah, I think I we would have heard of that yeah. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, so that's just something I, that helps me and it just sort of – it actually helps me play in red ball the shots that I know I can play to the swinging ball, the moving ball. Um, whereas when I open my grip, I feel like I've got – options 360 i've practiced my ramp and reverse ramps and stuff like that to play in the big bash but yeah and then obviously in red ball i'm not looking to take one over the week i'm probably looking to play a forward defense over that firstly and so how does it work for you as a keeper do you think it assists your batting because you're always concentrating on the next ball as a keeper you're involved in every, every ball, ball yeah. of every game do you think it helps your batting with your concentration or yeah i think it helps my batting um i think keeping to spin and keeping to a lot of spinners as a keeper you learn to pick uh, so straight away, right, I'm keeping to Cam Boyce for 14 games. I need to know all these variations, how he bowls them. So then when you come up against another league spinner, you sort of almost got the insight from yep. your spinner. Kept him Adam Zam for two years at the Melbourne Stars. How does he bowl? Yep. Um, and then sort of when you're coming up against these spinners, you can sort of know, right, he's going to go try go fast in my stumps. He's going slow and wider because of this field or that field. Um, and then you get one of the Afghans who has eight different deliveries and you just <laughs> close your eyes and swing, I guess. And none of those are chucking either. Just <laughs> we want that sort clarification. of clarification. Yeah. And so do you watch it out of the hand, off the pitch, or a bit of both? What, what What's your cue? Do you look for cues from their angles yeah. that they approach? What What do you do? Probably This year's probably been a first one for me with the night games. I, I hadn't played a great deal of – I'd probably played half a dozen night games before this BBL. A lot of my cricket had been done during the day with Red Bull and one-day cricket. Um, so the seam's actually easy to see during the day wow. from a spinner, whereas at night sometimes because of the lights and what's going on, it's actually harder to see the seam. So that's therefore you've really got to island on the hand and that's what makes Rashid Khan or Majib, these guys, so difficult is because they've got such fast arm speed. Um, so you can watch on our AMS, which is that, like a coded system where we can watch all the footage and you can slow it down to whatever – However slow you want it, you can go, all right, I can pick his wrong. And I'll tell you on in Adelaide Oval in front of 40,000 when his arms got that quick, it's not that easy. <laughs> so you can prepare as much as you like in training, but in the real sometimes, thing. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes it's, for me, I was I thought he's he gets a high percentage of bowls on LBW. So I was going, right, I'm going to play for his wrong. And if he manages to spin a leggy past me that I don't pick, well, whoop de doo but at least – yeah. Try and make him beat me on the outside. Yeah, I think third ball he beat me on the inside and got me LBW. Yeah. So that plan yeah. clearly worked. Yeah, yeah. No, well, <laughs> that was a rough decision. That, that wouldn't have hit the like up on the second set just quietly. But I'm a little bit biased. Sorry, Pete. You were going to uh, say, Sammy, what could you, what could you give us in terms of um, pre-game rituals and any rituals you have in in terms of Great you know, your setup and. Yep. Yeah, um, so my first game this year against Perth Scorchers, Wilpkowski and I could be found in. Crown, not at the casino. <laughs> <laughs> at the we went to we went Getting ten. Massage <laughs> or facial? Or <laughs> no, we went ten pin bowling and then just mucked around in the time zone for a couple of hours just to completely. I hate sitting at home, um, which is another conversation about away games because at home you've got um, I've got a girlfriend Georgia who we can hang out with and do stuff. I've got friends who I can do. So I've got family. I've got a brother. I've got a dog. Um, so <laughs> there's lots of options at home for home games where you can sort of distract yourself. Whereas yeah. when you're away in a state where you don't really know much, you don't have a car, um, you're in a hotel. So that's sort of where it's harder. That's where you're sort of probably looking more at a TV show or something like that or just going for a walk and finding a nice breakfast place. Um, 
I played three or four rounds of golf sometimes, just in a cart to get off the legs and play golf with a couple of boys on away trips. Um, one time I went surfing with our You're manager. A handy golfer? Uh, I wouldn't say handy. I'm an okay golfer. What are you off, Pete? mate? Let's be honest. What's your handicap at the minute? I'm off eight at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> and you hardly ever play. Yeah. What's the old man off at the minute? Yeah, no, dad, dad's a very good golfer. He's he an ugly golfer who gets the job done. No, he's no, off, he's off school. He's off four and my brother's off four as well. So, yeah, we have some good, yeah. good yeah. games of golf. Digits, wow. Single digits. It's Impressive. just the uh, Harper gene. So, debut for the Bush Rangers, nine dismissals. That was a record. Were, yep. you, were you just seeing them like a beach ball? What was happening there? Yeah, uh, that was. I was young. I was eighteen when that game happened. Uh, so that <laughs> 18, was that was first class cricketer. Just so I was. I'll, to be fair, Rick, that was just all excitement. I had Peter Siddle bowling from one end and James Pattinson bowling from the members end. Him coming back through injury for Australian duties, uh, and then first change Christian Main. So it was not a bad attack to be keeping to. Uh, <laughs> Still so had yeah. to take him. No, yeah, absolutely. So but I think for me, the, the that sort, I can still remember that game. Um, I'd worked. For what, 10, 13, since I probably was five or six, I started yeah. working really hard at my cricket. So then to be out in the middle of the MCG with um, Dan Christian at first, slip Cam White at second, Naren Finch at third, and then James Pattinson bowling. I think I was just, just shooting the breeze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said, hey, the Milo cricket's finished. Kid, get off. We want to play the big game yeah. now. But, uh, give no. us our normal wicketkeeper back. Yeah, give us our normal wiki back. But that was an amazing debut. That catch you took in front of first slip diving full stretch. One of the many yeah. that you've taken. But So does that give you the belief that, okay, I belong at this level? And so but prior to the injury that Pete documented earlier, yeah. Did you think you were sort of – because obviously there's Tim Payne and then there's you know, a whole heap of a host keepers. of keepers right around the country. And at the moment, the competition is stiff for the Australian keeping job. It's well, actually it's stiff for Victoria. Position, it? It's mm. stiff for Victoria at the moment. Yeah, so it like is. You are a walk-up sort of start, even though, you know, stats would say that you've uh, you've had that right. What's the what's the focus now for you? Because it's a patient game. And, and, and cricket's a very statistical game. It's a bit like a lot of our real estate listeners. They'll judge it on the numbers. It's very hard to improve the numbers if you've not given a go. So yeah. what – what what what's your sort of patience program at the moment? What's what, what's your thinking? Yeah, patience is one thing. I look at like someone like a Brad Haddon as a, from a keeping perspective. Spent a lot of time behind like an Adam Gilchrist, yeah, um, who spent some time behind an Ian Healy, yeah. Um, and yes, whilst there is one one spot, you can look at that both ways. You can be frustrated that there's only one spot, or you can look at it as a positive that when that spot does open up, I'm going to be so prepared and ready to take my opportunity. So that's sort of the way I'm looking at it. In terms of that perspective, Mark Hussey spent 12 years playing first-class cricket in Australia and England, debuted at 30, made 100 in his second test and had five years of killing it for Australia um, in all three formats of the game. So there's lots of stories that go on. Luckily for me, I've just turned 22, so that, uh, yeah, the days are young. So hopefully some um, – yeah, I'm hopeful that the Renegades and Victoria will be – provide some good opportunities it's in the next few incredible years. incredible attitude. It is. It's incredible amazing, attitude. isn't it? And so, you know, what we know about young, talented people, typically elite performers, the two things unite them. Number one, they've got a, a great gift, great talent. Number two, they've got a strong work ethic and you've got yep. both those things. And if we see wasted talent, Pete, it's always about the fact that maybe the last part isn't part of that process. It's just interesting, isn't it? Because um, we deal with, uh, on a day-to-day basis, is the next generation coming through, like yourself, Sam, the 20-somethings, and they're wanting it now. They, they I think Five just, minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> one just asked to be CEO the other day. So um, <laughs> uh, six week in. Actually, yeah. <laughs> but, but seriously, but you just seem to be different from that. That, that generation, is that to do with upbringing? Is that to, your, your mm-hmm. mindset? Um, and that's going to probably lead into the mentors as well, which yeah. I'd really love to cover now. Yeah. But 
what, what do you think that comes from with you? I think dad's been great with that. I remember playing for the Melbourne Seconds and that was probably when I did I, – I really rode on every performance. Um, I got run out at the Albert playing against Essendon for the Melbourne Seconds, coming back for two. And so it was, that was first ball. So I got the one run for the first run, then got run out directly, come back for two, and I was the most frustrated kid in Melbourne because you wait – the, you wait the school week through the maths classes to finally have your bat <laughs> on the Albert and you get run out for all for all due. And I think I remember having some sessions with Dad that week actually at Yarra in the sports complex there and we talked about the four P's, which was like patience, process, plan. Um, and, p- yeah, patience was the biggest one of that going. If we can nail the process and the planning and the execution of training and then the results will come um, through a high volume of games. So, like, for this year I sort of wrote out a map in – um, October or September actually about all the games of cricket I'm going to play which led to about nearly 45 or 50 innings so that and that sort of shifted my mindset from going right at this innings whilst this innings does matter yes no doubt like that's not I'm a realist with the pressure I've got 55 innings to execute my process and then over that journey you just hope that your work's done enough to provide enough fun days because in cricket uh, I think Mike Hussey was quoted in saying that probably three or four innings go how he wants them to go and six or seven don't so it's sort of how you respond when the when you do get a dodgy LBW decision or you do um, miss out and miss execute your plan about just not sort of le- firstly learning from it and then secondly just moving on onto mm-hmm. the next innings. Um, so that was, yeah, speaking of mentors, um, dad and I, dad's probably been obviously my biggest mentor. Uh, we've had a lot of chats about cricket and I've been lucky enough to grow up in a family where I've had a brother who loves cricket and a dad who loves cricket and is a cricket coach. So Tell yeah. us about um, Tim Ludeman. Yep. So you replaced him but uh, as keeper. But he's a guy that you've yeah. got incredible amount of respect for. Yeah? I do, yeah. Uh, I can't, couldn't have any more respect for Ludes. Uh, he came over from South Australia when he finished Korea, living down in Geelong, and he's um, good friends with Andrew McDonald. So he was invited in to do some wicket-keeping coaching uh, three years ago now. So we've been doing sessions for the last three years, uh, since I was 18 or 19. Um, he's been he's been great, not only with my wicket-keeping, but also just having those mentors as friends that can like sort of get you through the journey through either an injury or getting back in a side. Um, but yeah, what he's been able to, he's really helped me with my clarity of my wicket-keeping. And simply enough, he's kept, kept it so simple. Like he's gone, your basics are really good. Now let's just focus on relaxing, catching the ball. And it's actually more about, right, how are we going when there's, there are 50,000 people and you're wrists are tense and you just how how are we actually getting relaxed to get the result we want not worrying about sort of the external factors so you know losers been great and how'd that work for you with the relation to carrying the mic as you were doing for the broadcasters where they'd be interrupting you as the ball is virtually coming in they're asking you questions and you're meant to be concentrating on the on the ball, on the ball yeah. yeah well for me that was a, i enjoy um I'm sort of a social sort of guy, so I enjoy I like enjoyed the interaction. I enjoyed the interaction and the and the sort of the laughs that that came with the experience playing the Big Bash. Um, yeah, and oh, it's for me, it's great when you've got blokes like like Adam Gilchrist, um, yeah. even Phil Tuffnell, Damien Fleming, Brad Hodge, and the, the rest of them up in the commentary box, and you just sort of have a chat about the game with. Because I think that when I was ten, if you said that you were going to be out in the G having a chat with some of the heroes in the middle of a game, how cool is that? And then in one aspect, it actually taught me that you can be pretty clear whilst having distractions. Like it sort of yep. helped you not think about everything and just write it, watch the ball. Yeah, well, Wise uh, beyond your years, my friend. Absolutely. Wise beyond your years. Just talk us through that. Uh, sorry, one other thing, Pete, very quickly before we wrap up. 
the decision where apparently you gloved the ball slightly a few millimetres ahead of where you should have, which yeah. was a no ball, which is never – the comments from Sam on the stump mic says captured, I've kept the same way for 22 years. And so that <laughs> gave the commentary boxer a, a laugh because they're all going, isn't he only 22? Did he come out of the womb sort of yeah. with wicked on? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it wasn't keeping since day dot, Rick. No. Um Look, there was that was that was <laughs> fast, that was frustrating because look, I, I'm going to be honest. I believe the umpires probably have other things that they should be more yeah, interested yeah. in looking at yeah. than whether my gloves are one millimeter in front yeah. of the stumps. And then it turned out that my gloves actually went in front of the stumps after the batter had hit the ball, yeah, so it was relevant anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a bit like the foot fault. Yeah, it is. It's, as well, it's almost it? like a little bit like, is that really like, uh, of all the things you could get horribly wrong, <laughs> is that something that really going to hang your head on? So, but I got that one right. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, I missed the obvious one. So, I, I didn't actually see that. Was that, a, was that an integral part so of the game? There's a rule. Uh, oh, yeah, it oh, turns into a no ball. It's a free hit. It's a free hit. And at that time, Josh Filippi and Daniel Hughes, this was in the semi final. They were uh, killing They were killing They ended up being none for 100. Um, and yeah, they got two runs off the no ball. But it's for me, it was more as a young kid. You're out there and it's your first year, and all of a sudden that's happening. You don't want to let the team down. Uh, so that's a good example of a non on field thing. We've actually just got to snap out of it. Go right, I, yeah. I couldn't control that. Let's move now. Let's try and move on and focus yeah. on the next over. Jared Abood was the umpire. He apologised the next day and admitted he got it wrong. But yeah, it was probably the probably not the time to be trying to make that call when it was the yeah. first time. It was probably a little warning or something. Like the bowlers get a warning when they're going down the middle of the pitch, maybe a little warning that I was yeah, close. Yeah, it would was decent of him to um, apologise to you. Yeah, did that umpire uh, apologise for that 1979 uh, when Wayne Haas was getting the ball yeah. back, knocking it back from the third row, I think. Actually, yeah. I think he needed an exit ticket to come back in. Uh, I heard he was at the bar out. ordering a I think he wanted a pass out. But look, it's <laughs> not about football today, Pete. We're moving forward and uh, we're on to other things. So I'm curious about, you know, going back to the, the great keep of, of Australia and the, and the differences that you saw in them, say the Rod Marshes, the Ian Healy's, the Gillies, all that sort of stuff. Um, looking back at that, you know, anyone in particular or, or the styles that you like to model off um, or have you met any of these these guys from from way back? When? Yep. So I was lucky enough to play in the under-19s with Tom Healy, Ian Healy's um, son. Um, so that led to some training camps in Brisbane where – um, Tom and I would have Ian come in to the NCC and we did did a fair few sessions there. So I got to meet Heels that way. Then we had a Kiwis camp where Brad Haddon came um, to that as well. So we had a week working with Brad Haddon, probably three or four of us young keepers. That was probably two years ago. And then um, Tim Ludeman came across three years to Victoria and started working with him. So I've been lucky enough to sort yep. of – and then funny how the world works, Pete Neville was actually – when my dad was coaching Melbourne Crew Club, Pete Neville was the weird keeper for Melbourne and then had to move into, say, to New South Wales for opportunity because he wasn't getting a crack at Victoria. Um, so I actually grew up on the Albert Hill. I can't really remember this, to be honest, but he was keeping out in the Albert while I was watching as a five-year-old probably trying to play net cricket with Jack <laughs> at the time. Um, and, yeah, so I've been lucky enough to do a few sessions with Nev as well and, funnily enough, then play against him in yep. Shield Cricket following that. Uh, and then my next one, who I'd love to have a session with, would, would be Tim Payne. I think his gloves are elite. So it's incredible, I think isn't he? He's yeah. a very good keeper. Um, and yeah, I, I try and look at, as I think every sportsman should, I try and just find little one percenters that they do, whether it's in their squad position or how they take different balls. I'm a bit of a nuffy, as Rick would know, in terms of cricket. We've got a system where you can watch every game of cricket like that's played. So if Tim Payne's keeping Nathan Lyon in the rough or something, I'll watch that footage to see how he sort of goes about that. And yeah, if, okay. I, if there's anything I could learn from that. Something I've always been interested in, I think I heard Gilly say it once, is like, you know, the amount of squats you do, you need to do a lot. Do you say he did a lot of um, a lot of squats or what's the exercise 
that you mainly need to do as a keeper? You're just up and down, up and down, up and down, aren't you? Yeah, I do quite a lot of CrossFit training, uh, a lot of box jumps, a lot of skipping, a lot of uh, sort of low low weight but high rep sort of stuff to get that f- sort of fitness. And then I spent two pre-seasons doing gymnastics in on Spring Railroad there, um, just working with some external people about my diving, my rolling, my jumping and how to make that efficient because – when you catch a dive, you want to be able to roll and move efficiently with your body so that the ball doesn't, like your elbow doesn't hit the ground, the ball pops out. So that was a cool little thing to do for a couple of years. Just to, It was more a mental release as well. It wasn't at the junction or at the MCG training. It was, a, right, I'm going to drive out to Dunvale. I'm going to have some fun, get on the trampolines and dive and catch. I took tennis balls in and that was pretty – and I found that really improved my diving and rolling when I was sort of back to the stumps um, and also how to get in a powerful position to react and keep just for normal balls anyway. Um, but, yeah, we do do a fair few squats. So you need, have, need to be strong in the legs. It's just great to, to hear that, the commitment that you take to your profession outside of the, the typical stuff that you need to do. And like you mm. said, at the Junction Oval or the, or the G, wherever you're training and so forth, there's just what you're doing outside of that for yourself. Mm. It's, that's really, really important, I think, and it's great to hear. And you didn't come out of the womb with wicket-keeping gloves on, I can assure you that. But I tell you what, from the age of five, I reckon he's probably caught more balls, hit more balls, you know, received more throwdowns than many <laughs> players. It's just that, that, that it, it, you know, he's got two speeds, Sammy. It's uh, awake and doing something around cricket or asleep. So it's pretty full on. What, what's the movement now? Do you go to uh, the UK as a county cricket uh, in the off-season, our off-season, but their summer? Um, yeah, this off-season I'm going to stay put in Victoria. I went and played club cricket over in England last year, yep. um, which is which was good. Um, unfortunately, you need to have a British no, passport to play yeah, for Australia, Australia to play yep, yep, county yep, cricket. Course. So hopefully in the coming years, um, yeah, that could be a possibility. So, yeah, I'll take April off just to relax, just refresh the mind. I think that's really important, that four-week process to get that right. Yep. Um, I'm going to go to Byron Bay with one of my mates, Will, yep. and then go to t- spend two weeks surfing. Marino. Well, Will's lined up for an interview here as well, mate. So you've Perfect. gone ahead of him. So you've got that bragging rights on him. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Will might be closer to an Australian baggy green, but uh, he didn't that's get right. here first. And that's very important. That's going to be something that you can put on your resume. <laughs> put, and, put on the resume in yeah, the future. Although Will's, Will's a very big Collingwood man too. So he is, uh, he is mad screaming Collingwood man. You will man. not find many more mad or more scream about the pies. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I can't help it know that we're sitting here with with what's going to be Australian cricket greatness in yep. the years to come. And, Sammy, that just to hear the insights and and you're just so grounded in your thinking, in, in, in just the way you go about your, your sport and your professionalism, it's just an absolute credit to you and, and your family. And it's an absolute honour, I've got to say, to have you on our show. Oh, yeah. we're thrilled. It was sort of uh, – look, let's be honest, we had a vacancy. He answered, so that's all good. <laughs> but uh, no, not true. It's someone as someone who I've known you, known your family for a long time, uh, just there's no doubt in my mind that you bring a lot to the table with your DNA gifts. You bring a lot to the table with your work ethic. You bring a lot to the table with the mindset. But it should never be lost on anyone listening here – your family support, mm. you know, with Brian, your father, you know, being a, a fairly handy cricketer, let's be honest, mm. and a high-level coach in his own right, and your mum, Fiona, being just an amazing sort of uh, support base for you. And Jack just uh, – I remember Jack sort of cheering for you one day when he got out on a really rough decision and he was telling everyone that you were the best cricketer out there <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, your family – and the Harper DNA is right across it. You come from an amazing background. You've got a great, stable family. But most importantly, mate, you're like all great performers. You're in a mad screaming hurry to get there, but you're very clear on what you want. Mm. And so, so what's your, uh, I guess, 
just absolute launch into the BBL this year, even though you've played it before. But to see those results, I know that's for reward for effort, mate. You put in the effort a long, long time ago. So that's yeah. all kudos to you, Peter. I think it's been uh, one of our best. Well, without a doubt, without a doubt. And something from left field as well. And, you know, it's very, very few opportunities we get in life to um, to speak to very young sports people. On the and rise. As I said before, on the rise. They're yep. so grounded and yep. so forth because – we want to follow this journey with you, and I know our listeners will now know a bit more of the insights of Sam Harper and be able to follow your journey with you and support you as well. And can I just say, I know from very unless close you're going to play with the Scorchers or something. Yeah, you're dead to us. Then. Chance, you're dead to us. But <laughs> just I know on very good authority that um, Sam's kind of got a little bit more infamous and famous with his season, and every kid wants his autograph, and he'll stay right there until every last child has a signature or a photo or a cap or you know the kid who got across the mcg that was oh was that marvel mcg i'm just trying to remember that one where he got across to the dressing room and um shouldn't have been on the on the oval but yeah, that was, sort of melt. Yeah, that, <laughs> was a, that was amazing and so yeah you're a fine respectable man and uh, you understand that uh, those kids were where you were not that long ago just having this dream and having that ability to do it mate so you're a credit to everyone you're a credit to the family but more importantly you're a credit to you yourself we wish you continued success we look forward to interviewing you with the baggy green and we look forward to uh hearing about your continued success as i'm sure we'll hear around the globe mate thank you for being here today thanks Pete. thanks rick we appreciate it we trust you enjoyed listening to voices of value a shared conversation between rick rushton and peter kakos their views are not necessarily those of the wider world but they should be If you're keen to enhance the quality of your life even further in the future, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. Our website is voicesofvaluepodcast.com, and we welcome both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way.